Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Carl. Would you please stand for the scripture reading? Today's reading is from Acts 1, 3 through 8. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You guys can be seated. Hey, welcome. My name's Brett. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Manitou. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at these l- little stories, these tiny little stories called parables, and we've been asking, what does this story tell us about um, the kingdom of God? What does it tell us about the, the rule and reign of God? Is The kingdom of God sounds a little churchy, doesn't it? But the rule and reign of God, what does it look like when God is in charge? What does it look like when the rule of heaven starts lining up with, when earth starts lining up with the rule of heaven? We've been looking at these tiny little um, stories, and um, we've been, uh, stories like um, a mustard seed, you know, stories about, Jesus tells these stories about, last week, uh, Jesus told a story about a forgiving father, and it tells, it indicates, it clues us in something about, like, what the rule and reign of of heaven looks like. Um, We've been looking at these micro stories the last um, few weeks. Today, uh, we're going to do like a, a bit of an epilogue to, uh, to, that, to this series. We're going to look a postscript, if you will. P.S. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And we're going to like the other extreme today. We've been looking at micro stories. Today, we're going to look at a macro story. We're going to look at a big story. Today, the kingdom of heaven is like... The book of Acts. <laughs> it's like the, the whole book um, is what we're gonna is what I want to kind of look at from a thirty thousand foot view um, today. Uh, ultimately, we're gonna see this will be the last slide that's up, um, but we're gonna see today that the the kingdom is like the king giving us his life. That's what the kingdom is like. That's what it looks like when the rule and reign of heaven starts invading earth, is it looks like a king giving us his life in all of its fullness. Um, today, I, like, I want to take a 30,000-foot view at the story of the apostles and the earliest Jesus, fo- Jesus followers and see what the kingdom looks like in them and through them. And, and the story begins, we just... Um, read it, 
um, in the most like surprising of ways. It begins with, um, with Jesus ascending into heaven, which is perplexing. It's like one of those moments where you're like, what's happening here? What does it look like? What does the kingdom of God look like now that the king has ascended into heaven is really what we're um, asking. Um, because that's the same situation that we find ourselves in right now today. Jesus is at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning the universe, and we're inviting him to let his kingdom uh, live through us. So let's, uh, I want to pray as we begin, um, because this sermon, I'm suspicious, this sermon is going to challenge all of us in various ways, from various angles it's going to be pushing us. And so Jesus, you are our ascended king, our brother, and you have sent your Holy Spirit into us and among us to help us, to enable us, you grace us, and you live your kingdom in and through us to the glory of your Father. And so we ask right now that you'd give us hearts that are soft and ears that are quick, and that you would um, change our lives, um, orient us a little bit more, point our compasses a little bit uh, closer to true north to you this morning, we ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so Acts begins, it begins with Jesus ascending into heaven. He's spent, um, he's resurrected from the dead. That's a big deal. That's how the church began. That's why all of the New Testament was written. That's why Judaism in the first century mutated. It's unprecedented in sociology, in human history for something like this to happen. It's really perplexing if you're like skeptical or whatever in the room. It's really unusual. <laughs> like it's never happened before what happened in the first century. And it's because Jesus Jesus raised from the dead. He, he, something never before in human history happened. Somebody came outside the other side of death. And then he spends 40 days teaching his disciples about, you heard it, uh, about the kingdom, verse 3. Um, with, let's just go ahead and throw that slide up. The kingdom actually gets mentioned eight times in the book of Acts. Uh, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And um, as you can see, based on the slide, two of those references to the kingdom of God are at the beginning, two times are at the end, and there are four in the middle of the narrative, in the middle of the story, to make sure that we're reminded at the beginning and the end and all the way through that we are remembering that this is what what the followers of Jesus are all about. After his, after his resurrection, Jesus went to the trouble of performing a picture for us. That's what the ascension is. He performs, it's like a acting out a parable. It's Jesus, a parabolic action, if you want to think of it that way. He ascends into heaven in the same way that like a king would ascend to a throne. That's, and then that's all the disciples are doing, is they're just going about and proclaiming King Jesus. That's what the book of Acts is all about. They, they, ask, they ask, you hear them, uh, they ask, what's this kingdom going to look like now with you? Because you're apparently going somewhere. What's the rule and reign of God going to look like? Well, the promises that you made to Israel, that, all, that the kingdom, the rule and reign of God is going to come across the earth. What's that going to look like? And Jesus says, it's not for you to understand all of it. It's for you to do something. The Spirit's about to come on you, 
And don't worry, you've seen the kingdom coming through me, the rule and reign of God coming about through me, and you're gonna taste more of it. You're not gonna understand all of it, but you're gonna taste it very, very soon. The kingdom is coming through the spirit. And that's ultimately, we could say it this way, um, Acts, the kingdom central to Acts, Acts is about the continued unveiling of God's kingdom, that's what the book of Acts, if you're wanting like, just to plug in your mind what it's all about, you're going to see more and more of the reign of God coming through the lives of people, just regular people. Um, in particular, Acts, um, it tells the story of how um, the Jesus family, how it transformed from this tiny little Jewish sect, this tiny little Jewish sect into a multi-ethnic international movement in the span of like a decade. Um, you can go ahead and throw that next slide up. Uh, Luke, actually, you heard it, um, you heard it in what, was, what Carl brilliantly read for us. Luke actually organizes all of the historical memories of how the church started. He actually um, organizes these memories into a l geographic literary design. It follows geography. And so, um, yeah, th this slide, this is just great. Um, and so that promise that Jesus made that his, his disciples, um, that they would be his witnesses, um, it, he promised that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which you can kind of see down here. Sorry, it's my uh, slide design is not great. Um, Acts 1-7 is in Jerusalem. And then this greenish area that I have spray painted the map Google Earth uh, with is um, so Jerusalem is Acts 1 through 7, and then the green part is Acts 8 through 12, and then all of this red part reaching up the Mediterranean coast and into Turkey, and then over there, that's Greece, actually, and then you can see the curvature of the earth, the, like, the ends of the earth. The book actually ends, like, in Rome. It's like... Rome, that's where the book ends. So Jesus promises his disciples, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then the surrounding region, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And you can see that that's actually the way that Luke has laid out his story. That's where the story takes place. Um, yeah, ho hopefully that's sufficiently clear. By the end of the book, you have Paul. The, like, these are the last verses of the book of Acts. You have Paul, 1,400 miles away in Rome, spreading the news of Jesus, saying, this is the end, it says, uh, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught all about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. From begin My whole point is this, from the beginning to the end of the book of Acts, it is about the kingdom. It's not a separate thing. The kingdom of God is like the earliest followers of Jesus. The kingdom of God is like the book of Acts. <laughs> and so this morning, as we're finishing up this series with like a postscript, I just want to trace, really briefly, won't take long, want to trace two threads, two threads that are like 
central core themes that we see if you, if you were to read Acts. Uh, I encourage you, do it. Um, but if you were to read Acts, you will notice these two threads running through the book of Acts. And they're really important because they're Luke telling us, this is what the early church has, was like. This is what the church is always like. This is what the kingdom is like. And so two threads. The first one is bottle rockets. Bottle rockets, fireworks, explosive flashes of the miraculous, the spectacular, the sensational, the fireworks, the, the, the razzle, the razzle, the razzle, the dazzle, the sizzle, the sizzle, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the incredible, the incredible that you see drop in almost anywhere in the book of Acts, especially in the first 20 of 28 chapters. Drop in almost anywhere in those 20 chapters and you are going to run into a healing. You're gonna run into a prison rescue. You're gonna run into an exorcism. Frequently, in the book of Acts, the kingdom looks like God miraculously, surprisingly at work to banish sickness, to heal injustice, to combat darkness. Wherever he finds it, the early, wherever the church finds it, the early story of the uh, church told in Acts includes powerful moments of incredible miracles. The stuff like told by the, um, by the book of Acts, it was so extraordinary. It's so, well, what was happening in the early church was so extraordinary that we actually have, uh, we have two stories included for us. One is in, uh, we're not going to read it, but one, I just want to glance at it. Uh, one is in Acts 8. It's a Sumerian sorcerer named Simon. And then the other one is in Acts 19. There's a... Uh, yeah, Acts 19, the, uh, there are these guys, there's some Ephesian exorcists named um, the sons of Sceva. What was happening in the early church is so powerful, it was so extraordinary that you have people like Simon and these sons of Sceva actually asking, can we buy some of this? No joke, this is incredible. How can we tap into this energy, into this? Because they're magicians. There's all kinds of accounts of magic in the ancient world. Some sort of like, whether you're tapping into like demonic powers or whatever, however we're to explain it, these people are asking in the ancient world what is going on with the church and how can we get to be a part of it? There is powerful, that's why those stories are included in Acts. Is there's powerful stuff happening and nowhere Nowhere, we should say this as new life, nowhere in the book of Acts does Paul or Peter or any figure say anything like, well, you know, God is doing some miraculous stuff about like around us, but you know, it's gonna die out with us. This is only the way that God works right now, but in like a few centuries, God's not gonna be doing this sort of stuff. Don't worry about it. No, the whole book of Acts is an invitation to the church to ask God for his life-giving power to invade situations right here, right now. That, that's the, that you, should, should, you should be doing that. Ask God for bottle rockets, explosions. Ask, make the big ask, do it. 
Um, it's, it's not only okay, you should be doing it, asking for, for miracles, small and large, do it. Um, one particular firework display, um, if we're looking at acts with a 30,000 foot view, one, one particular firework display probably is worth mentioning, um, tongues. Tongues is worth mentioning in the book of Acts. Um, all, uh, you can uh, take that down actually for just a second. I'm sorry, Charlie. Um, sorry, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> all, tongues is um, all three movements of the book of Acts. We just looked at them. It starts with city. And then it goes to that green area, the region. And then it goes to the ends of the earth. In all three movements in the book of Acts, people are miraculously able to speak and hear in other languages. It's something God was up to. Um, This gift, this uh, grace of God, shows up precisely one, two, three times in the book of Acts. And those appearances actually correspond to the geographic expansions of the kingdom of God. Um, I think I have one more, there's one more map slide and it's actually got verses on it just so, oh, and they're smaller than I thought. You guys can see it, strain your eyes, send me the bill for the doctor. But this uh, chapter two is like an incredibly well-known moment at the Feast of Pentecost in the heart of Jerusalem where fire falls from heaven and Jewish people, it's only Jewish people in chapter two, Jewish people from all over the world suddenly hear the story of Jesus in their own languages. Oh my goodness, I hear this story about a crucified king who's back from the dead. And then in chapter 10, in a Roman centurion's house, a guy named Cornelius, whose house is in Caesarea. It's right there, like in the, right next to the eight, on the coast of the Mediterranean. Suddenly, you have the Spirit descending again, and people hearing and speaking in their own languages. And it's this moment when suddenly non-Jewish people are experiencing the most remarkable, it's like Pentecost again, is what it is. The Spirit has invaded non-Jews, and they are speaking in tongues. And Peter, who was there at Pentecost, he sees it and he says, goodness, God doesn't show favoritism. It's not like one tribe or one group of people is his favorite. The Jesus movement, it's, it's breathtaking. The Jesus movement doesn't belong to a race. It doesn't belong to a nation. It, you can't make any nation first and be like, lining up with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is interested in all nations. And then chapter 19 is this other moment in Ephesus. You can see it right there in Turkey. Over 500 miles away from Judea as the crow flies, moving out towards the ends of the earth. It's this moment where Paul, he discovers some people who were desperately interested in following the God of Israel. It says that they're disciples. They're learners. They're interested in the God of Israel, um, and they've been baptized by like John the Baptist in his movement. They, they had become disciples of Israel's God right as Israel's story was coming to its climax. They had been plunged into repentance 
but they hadn't, they'd turned away from death, but they hadn't heard the, story, the, the end of the story yet. They're like, nobody's told us about Jesus. Nobody's told us about the Holy Spirit. And so they are baptized into the name of Jesus. They're like, well, it won't do for you to be living in a half, in halfway through the story. Let's plunge into the whole story. And they, too, 500 miles away, it's like a third Pentecost. It's like the Spirit descends and tongues and languages and understanding. Ah, it's breathtaking. Those are the three moments when tongues appear in the story of Acts. Those are the only three moments when tongues appear in Acts. And they correspond to the news of Jesus going further and further out into the world. The embrace of God, the love of God, embracing more and more and more people. It's, um, you could, we could say it this way. Yeah, now's the time. Um, the Holy Spirit, um, he brings tongues as a miraculous sign that racial and cultural barriers no longer separate in Jesus. That's what, the, that's what tongues is about. That's how it functions in the book of Acts. It's kind of like the parting of the Red Sea. The parting of the Red Sea isn't something that we're looking for and we're longing for every moment of every day. It like happened back then as this great sign that God is the rescuer. He's capable of rescuing. This is a sign of something true. It's this miraculous sign that Jesus doesn't belong to a race. He doesn't belong to a culture. No, in the book of Acts, it's suddenly like, the, like God, the spirit of God is reversing all of the human division that we find ever since the Tower of Babel. Ever since humanity began dividing among themselves, suddenly God's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to bring you together where people were once babbling and confused and divided, the life and the story of Jesus now clarifies and unifies. That's what tongues is about. It's also clear, um, side note, it's also clear from 1 Corinthians that individual Christians uh, can receive regular rhythms of speaking in like a prayer language that also the same word gets, gets used for this. Um, we, even, we have stories, people in our congregation um, that experience this. I've never, um, I prayed for it, never, um, but we got lots of people in the congregation, people I love and respect, who do, um, that's a different conversation for a different day. Um, I just wanted to note the way tongues gets used in Acts. Um, it's, it's really important for us to recognize the way that Luke recorded things and to recognize what God was up to in the early church. We could say it this way, with the gift of um, tongues, you could, yeah, the, you can go through the slide up. With the gift of tongues in Acts, people speaking, understanding other languages. God was giving an outward sign of what the true gospel always does. It uni unites people in self-giving love. 
That's what the true gospel always does. The life of Jesus is inviting people into a life of self-giving love. And so go ahead and throw that map back up on the... uh, So when the news of Jesus gets announced in Jerusalem, the Jewish people, like, they find themselves suddenly united by God's spirit. They're, like, sharing money with each other in Acts 2 and Acts 4. They're taking care of each other. They're living in peace. And then the news of Jesus, it gets announced in the region. It gets announced in Judea and Samaria and uh, to non-Jewish people. And they find themselves suddenly united, included in this unity as well. Racial divisions start healing. Cultural barriers like gender and slavery start breaking. Class distinctions start vanishing. And then the news of Jesus gets announced 500 miles away to anyone interested. And you know what? They too get swept up by the spirit and into the work of God as well. Early in church history, as the news of Jesus spread, bottle rockets went off. Fireworks were happening His spirit, um, God's spirit, wasn't just giving a prayer language to people. It was actually like working as a universal translator to show what the gospel always does. That's what the gospel always does, is it unites people. Um, That seems to be how the Book of how the tongues is functioning in the book of Acts. Um, And this is where we're going to push back on... If you're, uncom- if you're in the room and you're uncomfortable with tongues, um, welcome. Um, if you are in the room and you're like really like enthusiastic about tongues, this is where I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Because, um, the book of- because tongues is not the biggest miracle in the book of Acts. It's not. As much as like certain traditions get really excited about it, um, it's, it's just not the biggest miracle. Um, as many of us know, the Apostle Paul becomes like a really central figure in the book of Acts. About halfway through, he becomes the person the camera's following. Um, and he has this really dramatic encounter with Jesus in Acts 9. He has this really dramatic encounter. And then he, he retells the experience two more times in the book of Acts. But in none of these accounts or anywhere else in the book of Acts do we ever find Paul speaking in tongues. So, thank God, I'm in good company. <laughs> like, he, he, um, he actually does, I uh, take that back, he, in one of his letters, he actually does admit that um, he does experience this as a, as a quiet kind of prayer language. But Paul, in the book of Acts, is not getting caught up in tongues as like a firework display. He's not really... Um, He's not obsessing over this. In fact, lest we get caught up in any of the fireworks, the, the big displays, the bottle rockets going off, um, we should make this, we should note what, uh, what Luke actually writes in uh, Acts 19. He actually writes, uh, I don't know if we've got that on a slide, but Luke, uh, Acts 19 verse 11 says, um, God was doing unusual miracles through Paul. (laughs) Acts 19 verse 11 says, God was doing unusual. The the word there, that's what it means. Out of the ordinary. It wasn't typical. He was doing, all these stories that we're hearing in the book of Acts, they were pretty unusual. It's a brief comment, but it's, it's really important so that we don't 
misunderstand or don't misread or the kingdom. The book of Acts includes the memories of like a dozen churches in various countries spread across 30 years. And so it's got like a best hits album of like all these unusual things get kind of put into the book of Acts. What was happening was unusual. It was unusual. That's important for us to remember because it's really easy for us to start thinking of the book of Acts, the record of the early church, the kingdom of God going forth. It's really easy for us to start thinking, oh, the book of Acts, that's the book of Christian superpowers. The book of Acts, oh, that's the book of radical church growth that we should always be seeing. The book of Acts, that's the book of miracles that we should be seeing daily in our lives. And let's get honest, miracles and growth and wonders, that's what we long for, isn't it? (laughs) So we're like, ah, I really want that to happen. But in Luke's estimation, those kinds of miraculous bottle rockets are not, they're not the deepest clues about where the spirit is at work. They're not the deepest clues about where the spirit is at work. The kingdom, yeah, it comes through bottle rockets, but there's a second thread that's weaving its way through the book of Acts. There's bottle rockets, but then there's bruises. Bruises is the second theme. Um, Bottle rockets are like fun to watch. They're fun to watch. But then when the flash fades... What's left? Bruises in the book of Acts help us see something deeper than just firework displays. The deepest miracle in the book of Acts is not outward spectacle. It's not dreams. It's not the exorcisms. It's not the healings or jailbreaks. It's not speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. Those things are wonderful. They're incredible. God still does them in the world, but they're not the deepest miracle in the book of Acts. The heartbeat of Acts is not fireworks. The heartbeat of Acts is witness. Witness. Bottle rockets are part of it. I mean, Jesus did miraculous things, explosions. But bruises remind us that the Spirit is wanting to get into our skin. That's where the Spirit is wanting to get. The the disciples are going to become full-bodied witnesses to King Jesus. You can uh, go ahead. Remember what Jesus promised, what what Carl read just a moment ago. Acts 1.8, he says, um, he does, he talks about Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. Mumartures, you will be my martyrs. That's what the word means. That's the word in Greek, martures. It's martyr. The reason why martyr is like a death sort of thing for us is because the earliest Christians were witnesses with such faithfulness to the story of Jesus that the work, and then they got killed for it. They did this so much that the word became synonymous with people who die. That's what you immediately think of with martyr. But it just means 
witness. You will be my martyrs. Mumartures, you will be my witnesses. You will be the ones who receive my spirit and have my life recreated in you, is what Jesus is saying. The point is not all of the firework displays. It's not that Christians can somehow like channel superpowers. That's not what Acts is saying. The point is that Jesus is beginning to come alive. Jesus is living through his disciples. That's what's going on in the book of Acts. We could say it this way. The most miraculous miracle in Acts is the spirit birthing the son's life within people. That is what the most miraculous miracle in the book of Acts. No, I'm not trying to equivocate or waffle, but like that's miraculous for the life of Jesus to start taking root in us. The life of God the son willing to suffer For the sake of love, that life is now being birthed in others, in us, if we'll let it, if we'll ask, if we'll... In a 30,000-foot view, we don't have time. We don't have time at all this morning to look in detail, but maybe we could just glance at it in a couple of slides. The disciples have been captured by a king who died for the sake of love so much, and they keep telling his story again and again. You can go ahead and throw that uh, slide up there. Uh, it's, they said, after his suffering, and then go, keep going. I meant for them to all be on one slide. Sorry about this. Is my bad. Um, oh, yeah, right here. After his suffering... This is the disciples telling the story of Jesus. His suffering, his Messiah, God's Messiah would suffer. We're moving straight through the book of Acts. Look at the references. Acts 17, the Messiah had to suffer. The Messiah would suffer. Acts 26. The point is that they're telling the story of Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, our King, What true life looks like is someone willing to trust the Father with his entire life. He loves even when it means suffering. He obeyed even to the point of death. And now, let's just glance at the the disciples through the book of Acts. Uh, Next slide. Um, This is the disciples through the book of Acts. And this is not even the stories of like them getting stoned, not like stoned, but like stoned. Uh, This is not even the, this is none of the circumstances. This is just what they're saying in the book of Acts. They, They rejoiced because they had been beaten with rods and they were They were rejoicing that they got to suffer for Jesus. I will show you. This is an Ananias being told, hey, I want you to go meet with this guy, Paul. He's just met Jesus and he's blind right now. I want you to go tell him what he's going to be doing the rest of his life and how much he needs to suffer for my name. 
Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas tells a group of uh, church leaders, he, they, and this is right after Paul got stoned. He got stoned outside of a city, said, we must pass through many troubles to enter the kingdom of God. And then he's describing to another group of leaders, he says, I'm compelled by God's spirit. I feel led by God's spirit to go in a particular direction. But you know what it means? It means that prison and hardship is actually in store for me. The longer we watch the disciples and we actually are really carefully reading the book of Acts, the longer we realize that the hands that are launching fireworks are bruised from chains. That's what the early church looks like. God is unleashing the most like breathtaking kind of life into the world through his disciples, but the disciples are enduring an incredible amount of pain in the process. Uh, Paul actually puts it in a really memorable way in one of his letters in 2 Corinthians. He says, so death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. That's what the early church understood. They were taking up pain and suffering into themselves for the sake of giving life to other people. The spirit empowering the disciples does not mean that they themselves are impervious to the brokenness of the world. No, they're not bulletproof. They're bruised. They're bruised. Hardships and sufferings are not a sign that we are doing something wrong. If Acts is any clue, it's often exactly the opposite. It's often exactly the They, the disciples, were invaded by the Spirit of God who had been willing to suffer for the sake of love. And they found themselves becoming little Jesuses. Little Jesuses, martyrs, witnesses. That's the biggest miracle in the book of Acts. We could say it this way. Um, martyrs are a miracle. Martyrs are a miracle. You want to pray for something in your life? Pray for that. That's what the book of Acts is pointing towards. Sometimes being a witness means that you get to see resurrection exploding around you. And it's incredible. <laughs> like You get to see, like, and sometimes... Being a witness means bearing the bruises of crucifixion, is what it means. But Jesus living through us, that is the miracle. That's what you were invited to pray for. The primary goal, hear me, this is the, the, the heart of it. The primary goal of the Spirit in your life is to empower you to become a martyr. Yeah, uh, uh, well, yeah. For, for, for you to take up a cross and follow Jesus on the path of self-giving love. That's the, that's what the, that is the biggest wonder that any of us in the room could experience. That is the, the biggest win that any of us could receive. To be set free of ourselves and to become alive to God and be set free to live for other people. Over a lifetime, you're going to see some fireworks. You're going to see them. They still happen. It's incredible. But you know what? They fade. They fade, and you're like, well, did I really see that? Man, that was really powerful at the time, but it just doesn't have the same impact that it, that it did at the time. And you know what sticks around 
after the fireworks is like you begin to bear Jesus in your body. The bruises of Jesus in your body. The Spirit does not want us obsessing over the unusual. What the Spirit is wanting is to transform us into a brand new usual. Into a brand new typical. <laughs> it's funny, uh, you, you can throw that up there. The primary goal of the Spirit is to sculpt us into the shape of Jesus. That's what the Spirit is wanting in your life. The Spirit wants to give you a life defined by love and sacrifice, by trust and faithfulness, by holiness and healing, by crucifixion and resurrection. That is what the Spirit wants to give you a life defined by crucifixion and resurrection, by bottle rockets and bruises. That's what the Spirit, beneath it all, that's what Acts is remembering. Regular people actually began embodying the life of Jesus. God's goal is to show us, is to show the world. This is God's goal, big picture of the book of Acts. God's goal is to show the world the love of heaven that is willing to endure hell. And he wants to do that through us. That's what he wants to do. Um, and this is the rub, and this brings us to the table this morning. The Spirit um, is not sent to spare us every cross. The Spirit is sent to shape us into the cross. And some of us need to hear this. All of us need to hear this this morning. The Spirit is not sent to spare you every cross in your life. The Spirit is sent to shape you into the cross of Jesus, into the shape of Jesus. We want to be spared every cross, don't we? <laughs> I'd like to, I, that's what I pray for, like the most. It's like, I'd love to get my hands, I, we do. We love to get our hands on anything that can like make our lives better and that can help us like do things more efficiently or avoid suffering or hardship in any sort of way. And we approach the spirit a lot of times in that way. We want God to spare us every kind of cross, every sickness and struggle, every heartache and hard, hardship, every bit of ambiguity and doubt. We wanna, we, want the, we wanna use the spirit to avoid the cross is what we wanna do a lot of times. But the spirit is not some sort of technology that we use to control the world around us using the interface of faith. That's not the, what the spirit is. The Spirit is not some thing that we channel or that we harness or that we command by saying just the right thing or just believing with just the right amount of effort. We don't use the Spirit to manage the world around us. We don't use the Spirit to win at whatever it is that we're wanting to win at. Christianity is not Star Wars. The Spirit is not the Force. That's the whole point of those stories about Simon the Sorcerer and the, and the sons of Sceva. They're wanting to use the Spirit. The Spirit is, this, is the living, intimate 
personal presence of God closer to us than we are to ourselves. And we keep asking him, can I get a win here? And he keeps saying, can I get a witness? Will you, will you be a witness for me? We're asking the spirit for wins and he's asking, will you be a witness? Our lives change. If you hear nothing else, I say our lives change when we pray less for wins and more for witness. Because that's what the Spirit is interested in doing in you, in your circumstances right now, in your life, and those things that you're like, oh, I just wish I could get God to do this. He is, in, he is forming you right now into the kind of person, if you'll let him, who looks like his son, who looks like his son. And that means being shaped into the cross, into the cross, trusting. He wants you to trust the Father with your life. He wants you to love even when it means suffering. He wants you to obey even if it meant death. The kingdom is like the king giving us his life. The spirit is the one who brings this. Sometimes we receive the king's life with like explosions of future resurrection invading the present right now. The cancer suddenly gone. The situation suddenly resolves. The, the relationship is suddenly restored. Fire falls from heaven like it once did and everything makes sense. And sometimes we receive the king's life very frequently through the bruises of the cross. And we're transformed a little bit more into Jesus as we are faithful through hardship and suffering. Whatever the Spirit's giving you in your life, his goal is that you would be a martyr, that you would be a witness, um, that we would become the kinds of people who look and sound and sacrifice and live and love and die like Jesus, because that is the kind of life that even death can't. Stop. Let's pray. Lord, it is too much for us. It is too big of an ask for us to ask for um, your life. And yet, by your spirit at work in us, we confess that Jesus is Lord. And we ask that you would, um, that his life would take up residence in us. We ask for the faith to pray for bottle rockets and the love that endures bruises. We ask that you would come alive with crucifixion and resurrection in us, through us, so that the world can see the magnificent love of your Father and our Father, your God and our God. We ask these things, King Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.